Non-fungible tokens are unique digital collectibles that are represented on a blockchain in the form of a token. Uh, they make it possible to own digital media assets in the same way that you can own a digital currency like uh, Bitcoin. Hey, this is Sri. And this is Will. Welcome to the Technium, where we talk about the edge of technology and what we can build with it. An optimistic look at the road ahead. How's it going, Will? Hello, how's it going? How how was your week? Yeah, pretty good. I think I am I was energized because I was, you know, looking forward to this this week and this this new episode as well as my all new drink. I actually I went to, to Whole Foods at the beginning of the week and I did a big shopping spree and I got a bunch of new stuff and I'm excited to share with you this thing. It is a herb craft uh, rose rose botanical drink. It's it, it promises that it's going to calm and relax me, which I'm gonna need because I am I'm like really really hyped up for this week. What, what are you drinking for really? <laughs> drinking more kombucha, but this is the holiday cheer health aid kombucha. I don't know. It's the I don't know what flavor this is. I thought it would be like peppermint, but it it's not. It just tastes like sugar bubbly, sugar bubbles. So I don't know. It's not it's not pumpkin spice. No, but when I look at like thirteen grams of added sugar, it's like twenty six percent of your daily allowance. That's not so uh, uh, that's so healthy. That actually, <laughs> right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well. I don't know. I think I am. I'm really, really excited for this week's topic because yeah. Uh, what are we talking about this week for the for the new 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 week, new year? Yeah, it is the new year. This is our first uh, uh, recording of the new year. So this week we are talking about NFTs, non oh, NFTs. Yes, non fungible tokens. They are non fungible, but they are very fun. So. <laughs> Non-fungible tokens are unique digital collectibles that are represented on a blockchain in the form of a token. Uh, they make it possible to own digital media assets in the same way that you can own a digital currency like uh, Bitcoin. And so these uh, NFTs have been on the, on the news a lot in the past year or so. Most commonly, they're associated with ownership of digital artwork. Uh, things like uh, CryptoPunks, as, as well as a few other projects, have made uh, big splashes even in the mainstream media outside of the tech news for having really, really high selling prices. And traditional art names like Sudsbees have gotten involved and have started running uh, auctions for NFTs as well. And so NFTs have sort of currently pigeonholed themselves into this idea of representing crypto art. But I think that NFTs are actually a building block for many, many other interesting applications. And that's what I'm excited to talk about this week. Yeah, this this week is about NFTs. And I guess as a preface to the episode, we're mostly going to be talking about NFTs and their potential and the applications outside of art. Because it, it, typical news that you know people get worked up about it's going to be about art and this and that, or about the objections to NFTs. But like, we're not going to cover any of that. We're going to assume that our listeners already know what NFTs are, 
and they think that, okay, like this is interesting, but what else can we really do with this? And so that's, that's what we're going to be exploring here today. Yeah, definitely. And I think that we're still really, really early in the life cycle of NFTs and of what people are building with it. So right now, I think that a bunch of the energy is still on crypto art, uh, as well as other forms of art besides visual art. So, you know, audio NFTs and songs and things like this. But there are a few glimmers here and there of people using NFTs for things beyond artwork. And I think that we're going to see more of the more of that as we go along. And it's going to take a while for people to kind of bash their heads at this tool and then see what they can make with it. But, you know, I think as we do on this podcast, we can go through a few of these projects that, that we see that are promising, as well as sort of extrapolate from there where things are going to go. Yeah, and that's not to say like the art part isn't important. I mean, the when people say art, a lot of people think of stuff that are in museums, but actually the art in museums today were the memes of yesteryear, right? And well, unless you knew the art history, like sometimes the paintings were like call outs and, you know, callbacks with like what their painter friends were painting. So they decided to do like a little satire on it or like a reference or a shout out. Right. And memes are the same way today. And so what people are doing with the memes today like it's it's most of it is digital like all memes are digital actually to to my understanding like nobody's yeah. hanging up pictures of like oh, what's a meme like the girl with the house on fire or something right. like that in the museum maybe not today but tomorrow right and like nfts are a way to make these digital pieces of culture ownable to the extent that people recognize it as such. So, yes. So, yeah. So, so that's not to say that it's not important, but definitely there's going to be a lot of stuff in that area, but there's all this universe of things outside of it as well that I think people are not focused on at the moment, but they will. I think like we, we can see that it, yep. this has a lot of possibility. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think, you know, NFTs at their core, if you, if you kind of, you know, forget about, the current application and hype around on art assets, NFTs in general are a type of asset that is programmable. And so you can, you can own it. It can do things in reaction to the events that happen to it or on chain though, on chain things that happen to it on chain. Yes. 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 Yeah, so I think that enables a lot of, interesting applications. And so I think, how about we sort of dive into a few and then see what each of those applications tell us about the, the power of NFTs and then what it could mean for what we're uh, going to build ahead. Sounds good. And so I guess one of the first things that caught my eye outside of crypto art for NFTs is the ENS and ENS domains. So ENS stands for an Ethereum name service, and it's akin to DNS for the internet, which is the domain name service. And so to, as we all know, the domain name service lets you type www.google.com instead of 
the IP address for Google when you want to access the services. And right now for wallet addresses, it's a long string of hexadecimals. And you can easily make a mistake when entering these wallet addresses to send money to and fro. And it induces a lot of anxiety for users of crypto. You know, even Vitalik like sends a little bit of uh, money just to test that it got through before he moves all his money over, right? <laughs> and so what ENS does is that it gives a human readable name to every wallet address out there. And so this could be wallet addresses owned by people or their uh, wallet addresses for contracts. And so if I wanted to send you, Shri, like some ETH, I wouldn't have to memorize your wallet address, like 3BE7, whatever, mm -hmm. um, or keep an address book. I can just remember that you registered Shri.ETH yeah. and that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, if, so, you so see, if you see, if you see, you know, a lot of crypto people on Twitter, a lot of them have at this point just changed their Twitter display names to like whatever.eth. And so I think like it's sort of becoming beyond just a domain name. It's also just becoming a kind of a handle or identity that is, is kind of being used throughout this like Web3 ecosystem. Yeah, it's a little, but it's a little strange because it's, because everything is inspectable on Ethereum, it's literally where people are posting their bank account numbers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Because yeah. you, can, you can look at like the, the, the ENS domain and I can see like all of the things that you, all the transactions you've made and all the kind of. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. But, but I, I think most people like they have like a active wallet that they put a little bit of money to. It's kind of like your wallet in your pocket. You put a little lot of money to, to do a little bit of stuff and then yeah. your cold wallets and stuff are, are somewhere else. Yeah, so so people do use them as identifiers, and that there are other people that just write dot ETH without actually owning the dot. Um, <laughs> well, just to show that they're cool and part of the ETH, ETH world. Maybe they just missed the memo, but but the <laughs> but the idea is just that it's an easy way to reference somebody. It's effectively an an identity, and the thing yeah. is. An ENS domain doesn't just have to point to a wallet address. It's a bona fide uh, name system where you can set the canonical URLs for your Twitter account, a Discord. Like, don't you can associate a .com domain with your ETH domain? Hmm. Like, you can do a lookup, and that uh, it'll come back to you and tell you what that is for IPFS, for email, anything that you have a text reference, like a resource URI that you can write in as text, you can write as an ENS record. And so effectively what this does is it sets a canonical place for an identity across all different networks, actually, right? Hmm. So like for any one entity, whether it's a company or an individual, you would have one place to look where, like, what is the official Twitter, email, Discord, so on and so forth for this particular entity. Interesting. So the reason we were talking about this is that an ENS domain is represented as an NFT. Is that right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's that's the, the why we're doing the entire episode. Yeah. So, but yeah, the ENS domain itself is actually an NFT. And so one of the things that 
people have as an objection, which we said we would talk about, but this lines up with the NS, is that when people talk about, oh, like, why have a blockchain for an F NFT? Like, you can just cryptographically sign it and give it to people, and then other people retort with, well, how do you solve the double spend problem? And then somebody else comes back with, well, you could just make two contracts with the same thing. And then so usually what happens today is that the project creator has on their website a canonical contract address. And so if you trust that they still have control of their DNS domain, Mm -hmm. then that contract address is correct. But with ENS coming online, I mean, it's already working actually, yeah. it, but it's just not in as widespread of use. Like you could just go to that creators.eth address and check out like what the contract address for their NFT is mm -hmm. and that that would be the canonical one. Yeah, interesting. So ENS kind of gives a kind of public accessible directory or lookup system for a lot of things. When we think about domains right now, we're basically thinking about what is the what is the lookup system to associate a human readable name with a uh, web resource, most likely a HTTP, you know, a website or like on the world World Wide Web, but you can extend this with Web3 because you have many other types of objects and assets. And so ENS is interesting because it provides a lookup system to kind of associate a human-readable name with, with any kind of object that you might want to interact with. Yeah, and so, like, why, why have ENS domains at all? Like, why not, like, just use DNS for this? And I, I think one thing that having NFTs buys you is that because there's a standard for them, you can automatically trade them on any of the standard NFT marketplaces for the domain names. So that's one. And two, which we'll get to later, is that you can compose these NFTs into different things together so you can package them together. So it, it inherits all the properties of other NFTs along with what it does specifically as a domain name. Yeah, and I think that the the interoperability of all of these building blocks being built on Ethereum or on any other blockchain is important because you can imagine that right now a domain is controlled by a corporation. So Google, the corporation owns google.com and somewhere, somehow the, within the structure of Google, somebody is tasked with you know maintaining the mapping of google.com and its DNS entries to all of its servers. Going forward, if we imagine that the future of organizations is going to be DAOs, well, it makes a lot of sense that a DAO controls an NFT, which represents a .eth address, and that DAO can have votes or can have members who are delegated to maintaining the ENS registry and keeping that up to date and maintaining that source of truth. And so it's nice that ENS is built on on the blockchain because it means that you can compose it with these other you know big ideas on the blockchain like DAOs and and things like that. Right, and and not only that, the ENS you can create as the owner of an ENS address, you can create subdomains for the ENS. So if there is a DAO called Technium.eth, like we can create a Will.Technium.eth and a Shri 
dot tech team as as i guess officers or like elected officials or whatever it is for working at the dow mm-hmm. come to think of it maybe we should register yeah i was gonna say is, is yeah. it available <laughs> I, I, we might be late to the game but yeah, yeah let's see yeah i don't know we might be late to the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe but like with all, all this talk we, we should probably register it but but it's like by the time you guys get this we'll we'll, we'll have registered it yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. And, and there's there's a subdomain aspect as well as in my brief view of the, the documentation, you can associate all types of other metadata with an ENS domain. And so you can have it point to other kinds of properties. Basically, there's a key value store that underlies some of this. So you can associate it with you know, all kinds of other things that I think people will, will come up with. So, so it's, a, it's a cool aspect. I mean, I think ENS has nothing to do with art. I think the the thing that's interesting about NFTs is that an NFT it only by happenstance happens to be associated with images by the fact that an NFT can have metadata associated with it. And that metadata can point to some other type of resource. So in, in the common case, it points to an image URL. But in the case of these other types of NFTs that we're talking about, it can actually contain pointers or actually contain the data itself for all kinds of other assets. It's not just that, you know, the idea of imagery, imagery is baked into the idea of an NFT. Yeah, uh, I think one of the things about ENS that is interesting is all the data that makes up the NFT is sitting on chain. And yep. so it's self-contained. Whereas a lot of the art stuff, it raises skepticism because the, the images sometimes are off chain. And so there's a variety of different workarounds for that. And there are art NFTs whose art is entirely stored on chain as SVGs. And so that's just an aside. But I think one of the things that gives it power as something that you can wholly own for ENS is that it's it's entirely on chain. All the data that you need in order for it to go away, the entire Ethereum blockchain would need to go away. And that's a high bar. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I think it, yeah, ENS is, is is pretty interesting. And the, and the nice thing is that it's it's kind of abstract in that I think that our current view of nfts is very tied to tangible things that that we know right so you know people are talking about art nfts and then people are like well 2022 is going to be the year of audio nfts and that's the next level of of nfts and it's a new application but it's not really a new application it's just sort of the same thing right like take an asset which you can point to like a piece of media and then just fill that in as the metadata field of your NFT. But I think what's interesting yeah, about te- ENS is that it kind of breaks that. Yeah. Yeah. Technically it's, it's the same, it's the same form, right? Yeah. It's got this, the NFT has the same shape. Like ENS, I think, well, so the reason why the art stuff and the audio and the imagery came first and has a lot of attention is because it's just so much easier to understand. Yeah. Like ENS is only used for, for people that are already using crypto. And so the, the art and stuff is a foothold. It's, it's a beachhead Mm -hmm. for people to kind of get into crypto and stuff. So uh, I I don't fault it for that. Yeah. Yeah. uh, 
Yeah, no, 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 no hate, no bad vibes here. You know, I think people, people should be creating more art and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think in terms of breaking the mental model, it's interesting to think about NFTs that represent kind of abstract concepts. So, you know, in the kind of pre-show, we were discussing NFTs that represent, you know, even more intangible things like kind of a future on, you know, let's say you're a business and you have like a contract or something that you're going to get a certain amount of money in the future. Well, you can sort of package that, package that up and say that's an NFT or something like that. And we can go into this later. So you, you can kind of make an NFT out of basically anything that you can point to. And it's even better if it's pointing to something that's on chain because then it's entirely self-contained and you don't need to host it somewhere else or have a source of truth somewhere else. Yeah, I think that's a good point because like the, the word non-fungible is a little bit weird. And that's only in contrast to something in the digital world. And so like the default for the real world is that most everything is non-fungible. And so it's only codable <laughs> when something is fungible, right? Right. And, and so we don't say that like our world is full of non-fungible stuff. Yeah. It's only that when we got computers and the internet where it's this weird world where the digital world most everything is fungible because it's just so cheap to copy that it flips that dynamic and basic calculus on its head. And the only reason why NFTs are notable is that for the first time you can make some bits of data non-fungible or <laughs> to yeah. copy ownership. Like you can still copy the bits, but you can, you can retain records of ownership. Right. And that's, that's the thing that's really hard to change. And so, so then people make the attribution error that because everything in the real world is non-fungible and non-fungible tokens yeah. refer to non-fungible digital things, like you can just make anything like an NFT, but yeah. the, the crux of that is that you need to be able to link the actual asset with the data that's on chain somehow and right. this link can either be really strong because that asset is on chain itself or there's like infrastructure and mechanisms to keep it around yep. that you can link to but there are other things where that link is more tenuous and so so that's the the line that you need to be aware of when when you're trying to figure out like oh what what are these abstract things that nfts can represent right so that that that's the only thing i wanted to kind of clear yeah yeah little little aside here yeah so it one of my biggest regrets is that uh i had a friend who who's very early into into this space and uh, he was trying to convince me to to work with him on on some nft stuff way back when and i i didn't i didn't get it at all when he pitched it to me because his pitch at that time was that you can use nfts to represent all kinds of things and the examples of the kinds of things he gave were you can use nfts to kind of gain access temporarily to a cafe's wi-fi or you can use an nft to you know, represent you that you are authorized to stay at an Airbnb or some rental for some period of time. 
and like it was kind of cool but at the same time it like just didn't connect with me and i think part of the reason they didn't connect with me is kind of what you're saying is that there is this online offline gap and the more examples that you come up with of nfts where it requires crossing this gap the less it makes sense because why would one it's technically difficult to maintain the syncing between the real world source of truth and the the chain version of the truth and two it just like if you're transacting and interacting with an object the the blockchain aspect of it is not really adding too much value like it it, it just happens to be another convoluted type of database that that you're that you're interacting with and so i think that the the real stuff is that we're excited about i think is are not necessarily things that are crossing this gap but are actually kind of digital native objects yeah and like it's a convoluted database with a provenance and so yeah people can decide to give value to that like why why is gold valuable well people like seem to like shiny things and so, yes so like we we tend to think that oh okay if we have a provenance for something then we can assert its particular value yeah i mean i think one of those difficult gaps to cross is that we actually just don't have that many things that are digital assets until recently yeah. and so it's hard to really think or understand that concept uh, i mean like i guess dns domains or like your account is at facebook or google is kind of the closest thing but yeah even then it doesn't feel like we fully own it because we know that the platforms that run this stuff for us they can take it away at any time so it doesn't really feel like we really own something right yeah and so so with nfts and its underlying cryptocurrency platform nobody can force you to do something unless you were tricked mm. yes right yeah so 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 like now is the first time that we can have digital assets and understanding that oh was something that helps bridge the gap so then back to like the type of digital assets that well we can see coming online there's a bunch of them that are in the realm of DeFi and De DeFi is decentralized finance yep. where effectively people are making financial instruments on the blockchain. This is both exhilarating and terrifying <laughs> <laughs> because if you understand like the 2008 crash with the credit default swaps and mm. whatnot, like yeah this sort of stuff like puts <laughs> that to shame like if you think that like credit default swap swaps were complicated like yeah DeFi, like you can compose and remix all sorts of stuff that are here so one of the things that you can do with art nfts we keep coming back to it but like in reference to in relation to DeFi, um the nfts can be fractionalized so you can turn something that is non-fungible to be fungible again yeah. so it's basically like a i guess you could call it like a groupon for art nfts hmm. or like group buying groupon groupon yeah for so like nfts they're really expensive so if you wanted to own one you either have to buy it outright or you can pull your money together 
and buy it with other people and own a fractional part of it. And so, <laughs> so then yeah. the DAO would buy the NFT, it would own it, but then it would issue a ERC-20 token, which is fungible as your claim to the fractional part of the non-fungible. You know, this is, this is funny because the very first corporation in the entire world, I believe was the, the, one of the East India corporations, its charter was, we're going to go somewhere or we're, we're going to go to the, to India and we're going to conduct trade there and we need to raise money. And so the way that they did it in the first time in the world was that they were like, well, how about everybody gives us money and then we're going to give you stock. And then when we come back and have something of value, then you get a share of whatever we, whatever value we've claimed. And so that was the very first kind of idea. And th this kind of reminds me of that, where basically, you know, somebody can say like, hey, I think that this particular asset is going to be very, very valuable. And by asset, I mean like an NFT. So somebody like, let's say, identifies an emerging artist or something. And they say, yeah. well, like, let's all pull our money together and buy their their art, which maybe is currently expensive, but we think it's going to get even even more valuable over time. And then everybody can reap the rewards of having purchased that that asset. And so yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And and so what we're talking about here is that an NFT is something where you can kind of compose it with these other these other blockchain concepts so you can you know issue other types of tokens that represent ownership in this object which is something that is actually quite cumbersome to do there's no real equivalent in the current world in in well, the offline world well, except for like stock certificates or something no timeshares is 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 that like <laughs> well timeshares are a whole other yeah, yes, conceptually, yeah. I guess conceptually, like, I, I don't know if you actually get, like, ownership, but I guess, like, conceptually, it's 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 somewhat similar. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the infrastructure for for fractionalizing things is is kind of, it, it either doesn't exist or you have to kind of draft up your own like, yeah. little structure for that. But because a lot of it is just so cumbersome to set up, and maybe with good reason. I yeah. don't know. We'll see, right? Because... The internet really made some things that were traditionally hard, easy, right? Like yeah. publishing is one and distribution of like ideas and music content, yeah. like traditionally was hard because you need to go through publishers. And at first people universally lauded it as a good thing, like let a thousand voices bloom. But then like, well, we, we get the state of the world today where, well, it turns out that not everybody who has something to say has something worth to say. So, <laughs> like, ideally, you would have something to filter that out. Yeah. But, you know, we, we are suffering some ramifications of the system that we built. And so NFTs could be the same way, but I think there's still a lot, a lot of optimism in the beginning as we're we're starting out this thing. And so, mm -hmm. so yeah, like, for those of you interested in fractionalizing NFTs, it's at partybid.app, and uh, there's a DAO that is involved in 
called the Party DAO. And so check that out for the fractionalization NFTs. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I, I think another interesting aspect that I've seen is that you can take loans out against NFTs, which is not too foreign of concept because you can yeah. also take loans out against just any random you know thing that you own you can go and uh, collateralize a loan with your house or with land or your car or something but what's interesting is that you can now collateralize your loan against something that's entirely digital which is something new and uh, yeah i mean i think that's that's something that's a project that i thought was interesting because when people are thinking about art nfts there there's a lot of meme value but like now it's quite possible that you can actually just consider that as a real asset uh, against which you can like take funds and do something with uh, rather than just sort of collecting them and and watching them appreciate or or or, or not appreciate it, like it it becomes uh, a real kind of valuable object the more things you can do with it and i think taking a loan against something is yet another sort of notch in the belt for oh, this is a this is a real thing with a real value yeah nftfi.com is the project you're referring to yeah. uh, for taking out a collateralized loan for nfts right yeah yeah I, I think the i think in the we'll, we'll discuss this in the far future but like individuals to companies will start owning nfts art or not as a way to shore up their balance books and they would be able to take out collateralized loans against these things and not only that there are things called flash loans in the world of DeFi, and that is a loan in which you borrow the money use it and pay it back all within the same transaction hmm. and typically for loans you would need some sort of like KYC or credit, like some way to verify that the person borrowing the, the money is going to be able to pay you back, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so like we do all this mechanism to ensure that people can pay us back plus interest, right? But on, on the blockchain, like Ethereum blockchain, it enables people to borrow money use it for arbitrage and pay it back all within the same transaction. Hmm. And so that way you don't actually need to do all the mechanism of KYC or anything like that. Like you can just do it all in the same transaction because you get your money back immediately plus interest, right? But we, we can do like a different episode on this, but uh, yeah. it's mostly for arbitrage. Oh, okay. And so, and so if it like you can do these kind of weird kinds of loans through you know nfts that are collateralized or any number of things like that's my point mm -hmm, is that mm -hmm. there's different forms of loans that crop up due to the underlying properties of blockchains that you can do and so yeah having nfts collateralized or like doing flash loans that sort of stuff is 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, I get your point. Yeah, I mean, they play well with these things. Like you can, they, they are native to this, this whole ecosystem, and so you can use them in all kinds of places where you might not expect, like you know, flash loans, or, or taking loans against them, which you know, you would think that this sort of NFTs. If you think about NFTs as art and DeFi as sort of money, you would think that these two things are not really going to 
you know, mix uh, very much, but it, it, because they're all kind of running on the same infrastructure, you can actually compose them in this interesting ways. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the next, like, we have lots to say about DeFi, but maybe we should just kind of pick one of them. We have, like, yeah. the Uniswap, Aave, and... Yeah, I mean, I think... And so I'll, I'll let you pick one of one of them to, to yeah. chat about, because, like, I, I picked the last two. For sure. There's an interesting trend that I see where you can basically create an NFT that represents that you are a stakeholder, that you have skin in the game in some type of financial transaction. And that sort of increases your social value. And so to go concrete, there is a project that I like a lot called Avegachi. And what Avegachi is, is an NFT that kind of represents a little digital creature but what's interesting is that it's an NFT, and that NFT controls a uh, staking position in a, in the uh, Aave network. And so what it means is that if you have an Aave Gachi, it means that you are are currently staking this Aave token, and and that changes how your Aave, Aave Gachi looks and... And so it kind of creates a meme. It creates a memification of a financial position because if you have a Avegachi, it means that you are part of the Ave staking pool or whatever. And so you can show it off. You can say, "Hey, like, look at my Avegachi," and people can look at that and be like, "Oh yeah, well, I see that you you hold a position. You have this financial position." And so it kind of creates this like meme effect around finance. I see. Wait, wait. So to take a step back, like Aave, like you have to buy an Aave token first of all, right? Yeah. Like so, you use ETH and then you go on an exchange, whether it's on Coinbase or on Uniswap, to to trade ETH for Aave. And so once you have Aave, you can stake it. And so staking means that you put it inside the contract and you earn interest on it. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then. And then as a result of how much you, as a result of staking your Aave, you get an NFT back with a representation of a cute little, like a uh, creature. Yeah. It looks like a Tamagotchi. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a Tamagotchi. And the more that you stake, I guess the the more different it'll it'll look. Yeah. So Avagachi, they have like different attributes. So, so they have value based on how much you you've staked but they also have other characteristics like traits that you can kind of attach to the avigachi and kind of kind of boost them and so it's like a game owning an avigachi involves you purchasing an ave token staking it and basically making a financial commitment to the ave token and and then you get back this nft that that you can now show to other people and and kind of basically show off your your financial your position. And, and so so the so so I guess one thing that I would say about this is that when I came out of college, I thought financial stuff was really boring. I think yeah. that was like all the jargon, and like it's targeted targeted towards a specific crowd, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think what we see with crypto is that 
it's kind of like a mashup between financial concepts and things that people find legible or like mm -hmm. find inviting for the lack of a better word. Yes. And, and so you might write off people like memeing on GameStop. <laughs> um, yeah. Like these people don't know what they're doing, but honestly, like I think crypto, like if, if you were to mash like popular culture with wall street, like this is exactly what you would get. Yeah. Right. People are learning financial concepts through like these crypto metaphors mm -hmm. for the, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that, that's, 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 that's why having an avocado gotcha makes a lot of sense for uh, retail investors and, you know, like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I think, you know, Avogadro is one instance. There, there are a few other, uh, projects that are basically making NFTs around other financial positions, whether it doesn't necessarily have to be about staking. It, you know, you can have an NFT that, you know, basically represents basically any other you know, transaction that you're doing in DeFi. But the interesting thing that I think about, there are two aspects that I want to discuss here. One is that the NFT itself is the thing that owns the, the staking position. It's not the person. It's the person owns an NFT, and that NFT actually controls the tokens. And so and that makes it tradable, right? Is yes. That where you're going yeah, yeah. So you can trade okay. this and you can say, okay, I have like a, you know, this many Ave staked here and I have this cool Ave Gachi. But if I want to exit this position and, you know, give it to somebody else, somebody can buy my Ave Gachi. And, and then now they are in control of those staked tokens. You can think about it in different ways, but like the way I think about it is that you have this like object that controls like money basically and and i can like give you this object and now you control that money and so that's a very very interesting aspect and there are yet other projects where you know the the interest that's accrued kind of changes the way that the nft looks uh, so your your representation of your creature looks better and better i guess cooler and cooler as it accrues more power basically and this is all powered by finance i guess decentralized finance yeah and and so then uh, i guess a good question to ask is like why why have all this blockchain stuff like couldn't you have done this on i'm playing devil's advocate here like yeah. couldn't you have like done this with the existing stuff like why not just throw it on a database or like why not use the existing i don't know like NASDAQ markets for this sort of thing. Cause you could argue that like a financial position is kind of like equity in a company. So like, why, why have this? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I have my answer, which is that the way that finance is happening is changing and finance is becoming much more social. And so we talked about GameStop and, and if you go to wall street bets, which is a toxic place, and I don't want to associate it too strongly with what we're talking about. <laughs> but, you know, I only mentioned it in the sense that it's kind of a democratized yeah, uh, finance. Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's all. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. But I mean, I think the concept, the core concept of Wall Street Bets is interesting, which is that you have all these people who are kind of playing together. It's kind of like a, a gaming community. They're kind of gamifying finance. And 
what you see a lot of the time is that somebody says, I just bought in at GME at this price, or I have, you know, I've taken this financial position, YOLO, and they take a screenshot of their Robinhood app and like share it with people. And that's their kind of proof that they've done this thing. And like, I don't imagine there are too many people who are like faking these screenshots or anything, but it's just kind of an indirect way that they're trying to create social value around taking a financial position. And as as finance becomes more social, I think that, you know, things like Avigachi or NFTs that are representations of a financial position allow you to do that much more directly, where rather than taking a screenshot of your Robinhood and saying, hey, I own all this stock, you actually just make that as a first class object that is then tradable and gets inherits all the properties of things that are on the blockchain rather than having it be right. just a JPEG. It's publicly, publicly inspectable, it's composable, mm -hmm. it's tradable. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think my answer would be more on the builder side of things because if you wanted to make it something like Avigachi where you're mashing up Tamagotchis with like an interest like bank account like yeah. that would never you could never green light that in the current financial system mm. but like in with blockchain technology effectively lets ordinary developers like you and me make credit default swaps and that's why i'm saying it's both <laughs> exhilarating and terrifying yeah and so it, it makes this like financial stuff like much more legible because before like like personal finance gurus could only say like, okay, like I would want to talk about like your 401ks and like how to save and personal finance in this way that appeals to this particular segment. Like, you know, if I, I don't know, like there was a w woman that like talked about it in the terms that she understood and she was able to get a community around her perspective, but like you could never get like gamer perspectives around communities much less have people in control of that right yeah. and so i i think that's the thing that's different here you can get all sorts of not only different kinds of finance but finance that appeals to very particular and different segments of the population in a way that speaks to them yeah i think so i yeah i i do see that there are some concerns the concern i actually i have is that these things are so composable that you can create like just a crazy you know, uh, tangled web of things. So one yes. one uh, scenario that I can imagine is like let's say you have a very very valuable NFT, and then somebody fractionalizes that NFT, and then some fraction of these NFT is then owned by a DAO, which is controlled by you know again like some other the the membership of the DAO is gated by a different nft and 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 so like how this just like how yeah. far do you go down the stack like before you can no longer reason about like how this financial system is going to work i i don't think you're going to be able to like it when people think like oh physicists really like did a number on the financial system when they invented this stuff like yeah. they have not seen this stuff because yeah like members of DAOs can be other DAOs, yeah and then taking liquidity pool positions in Uniswap, which is a, like a, an, a decentralized exchange. Like those things are NFTs. You could fractionalize them. <laughs> right. Right. Like compose. 
And once you fractionalize them, you get a fungible token, which then you can put back into Uniswap itself yeah. as part of the, like a market in the exchange, right? And so like, it, it just goes, you could conceivably go on and on. And like, at what point would it make it more resilient or make it more brittle? Like, like how many of these things have their values based on the value of something else? Right. And so, yeah, like, I, I don't know that anybody is doing that analysis today. Right. But I don't know, there, maybe there should be a watchdog of some sort, like a global dashboard for this sort of thing. But yeah. Yeah. It's It's going to be crazy. But you know, now that, that, now that we think about it, it's not any crazier than the financial system that we have. Like stocks go up and down based on the movements of all kinds of things that are deeply nested together. And so, yeah, is it any worse than what we have? I, I, I'm not sure. I, can't I, I think it could get crazier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and I, I see what you mean. It can get crazier because anybody can come and and make NFTs of these things. And actually, this is this is sort of the key aspect of of NFTs is that it's permissionless, and so you don't need to go to the creators of Ave and say, "Hey, I'm interested in making Ave Gachi." Like, can I do this? It's so it it currently just so happens that I think the people who are involved in the Ave project created Avegachi. But you know, increasingly in the future, you could have other people coming and building games or building NFTs or you know gamification elements of finance without going to the original project uh, owners and saying, "Hey, we're interested in doing this. Will you give us our your blessing?" People are just going to come and do this. If you can write the smart contract, you can make NFTs of anything. You can make DAOs of anything. And so it's yeah. completely permissionless in that sense. Yeah. Uh, and I think we were going to skip the gaming part of it, but yeah. as a quick aside, like not just like the Avogadji, the Avogadji data and the attributes by themselves don't do anything. It requires somebody to interpret like what they mean in the context in the world that you're going to give them. But the thing is you don't need blessing, like you said, from Avogadji people, creators themselves, like you can reinterpret it however you want to, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, you can use Avogadji's as logins to your new service if you want, and you don't need permissions from them. Right. Right. And, and, and so, so that's, that's, one really interesting aspect of it. And so if Avogadji creators go away and Avogadji's are NFTs that exist on chain, then you could conceivably just keep doing stuff with it. Yeah, there there are many things to go uh, over there, but I think it kind of gives you an, a, an idea, flavor for the f fact that culture and finance are going to collide in, in these interesting ways. Um, right. Yeah. And and so for gaming, we're going to skip that for the time being. We have lots to say about other things. And so we might like move that to an NFT part two, but, yeah. but we'll just make sure to pull ourselves out of that rabbit hole and, and move on to to another section that we see a lot of interest in NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. So in general, NFTs are cultural artifacts they derive their value from basically social properties either their fact that they're scarce 
or that they their provenance that they are issued by a particular creator and by by purchasing an nft or owning an nft you become part of that creator's community that they're building the world that they're building and so i think that's a really really interesting aspect of of nfts is the community aspect as well as uh the way that they allow creators to engage with their fans beyond what they're currently able to do. So currently creators are able to sell tickets to their shows. They might be able to sell merchandise, but it's sort of these one-off point-in-time transactions. But with NFTs, because you can kind of think of them as these long-term living objects, you can have this like continuous interaction or engagement with creators that you care about. And so that can provide financial benefits to the creators as well as maintaining this sort of energy and sense of community among the supporters. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes when people ask like, oh, like what actually gives NFT their value? And like one thing I come back to is this example of the creator like if the if the creator leverages nfts as a way to engage their community and interact with their community then they are the ones that imbue it with value because they're willing to honor it right honor it with what and so they can issue an nft and honor the nft with special access to new tracks that they're recording, new rewards. Yeah, so I think as an example, the best Kickstarters that I've seen are where the rewards are the residual side effects of having to do the work anyway rather mm -hmm. than extra work. And so a good example is if you're drawing a comic book, the rewards would be the background pencil sketches that you were going to have to do anyway. And you reward the super fans with, oh, okay, here's the sketch that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. It's kind of like a backstage pass, right? right. Rather than like making t-shirts, which is a whole thing right. in itself, right? And and so the, the creator can use these NFTs to engage their fans and kind of suss out the super fans and use them to subsidize everybody else that wants to be exposed but aren't necessarily super fans, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is the way that they can build community this way. Yeah, definitely. And so it isn't too foreign of a concept because it's analogous to things like Kickstarter, like you mentioned, as well as the kind of tiered reward systems for Patreon, where, you know, if you're are a Patreon member or a contributor to, let's say, a YouTube channel, you might be able to give feedback on the outline of a video, or you can request a topic, or you can get an early release version of a long-form content, which you might otherwise have to wait for months for the creator to, to finalize and edit and polish up. And so I think that those things kind of exist. But what's interesting about bringing them to the NFT world is 
that now that they live on chain, you, you can basically trade them. So, so fans can trade them with each other and say, okay, I have this NFT that gives particular access or interaction with this creator, but let's say that I want to sell it because maybe I, I'm not interested in that creator anymore and some, I want to give it to somebody else who is, you can. Or another way to think about it is that let's say that I'm a really early fan of a creator who makes it really big. And so I have access to an NFT, which represents, I get to go to backstage pass for all their concerts or whatever. And let's say that creator really blows up and becomes huge. Well, that NFT could become very valuable. And so now that becomes a real asset, which I can trade and, and benefit. And basically I've benefited from identifying talent early and investing in them early. And now because of the liquidity and tradability aspect of an NFT, I can get financial reward for that. Yeah. And one of the big things is you could do this before, but the marketplace just was really local or it just wasn't there at all. So like being an NFT, the market is global. So effectively you, I could see people whose livelihoods are basically tastemakers and mm -hmm. those exist today, but like they can be tastemakers for an artist mm -hmm. in which the, the avenue that they do this is buying their NFTs because originally you had to work for a company that is doing publishing or something like that. Like you needed infrastructure to build this sort of stuff up, but like, as long as you can afford the, the NFTs, given that you've identified them early enough as a tastemaker, then you could like earn based on your taste identifying skills. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think um, there are a lot of buzzwords in the Web3 world, but, like, I think people are excited about, like, the, the curator economy. So there was the creator economy, which was, right. you know, is passe. They, 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 the, the coin, they only coined the term in, like, 2019, but, but now we're moved on to the curator economy. Well, yeah. Yeah, so, but, but I... I yeah, I, I mean, like stupid sayings aside, it's it's probably going to be a thing. I mean, yeah. that that thing already exists. You know, people don't bat an eye on that. It's just, a, I think, a different way to do it. <laughs> yeah, and I th I think the NFTs allow people like artists and creators to segment their super fans, and so like you can provide more expensive NFTs that allow greater access to you or like backstage passes or like background sketches, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it allows creators to do tiered pricing to fill out the demand curve. And so in the same, I mean, in some ways, like nobody likes paying more for the same airplane seat, yeah. but airlines do it so that the people that can't pay don't have to. And the, people that are willing to pay more are able to, or, or they're indifferent. So you can capture more of the buck as a, as a result. And, you know, like given that the internet has made digital creations less economically and financial viable, I think people are embracing it, but I, I think this is just the pendulum swing back and forth here. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, 
interesting thing here too, is that it changes business models because creators can earn residuals on every trade of their NFTs because that residual can be built into and enforced by the contract. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to look at licensing or ask the platforms to inform stuff, like enforce stuff, mm -hmm. like the residual, which is the percentage is it kickback or percentage you earn yeah. on every trade, basically? So yeah, yeah. So so in the in the example that I gave of the curator who identifies a creator early and then sells an NFT to the backstage pass, once it appreciates, it's possible because of the programmability of NFTs that the the creator actually created that residual, and so let's say that. It, you know, and it appreciates significantly. They could earn a uh, you know small percentage of the appreciation amount to kind of fund their work even further. And so you can do all kinds of things like that. Yeah, yeah. So as a concrete example, there's an artist called Three Lau, Three L A U, and you can check him out. Like he sold at 33 NFTs as part of his album release, and these NFTs are redeemable, and you can get sent a limited edition vinyl or like a more experience like expensive one like the top bidder can now collaborate with them to produce a brand new single and so mm -hmm. these are hallmarks of what we talked about earlier of you know, things that cater to super fans which then fill out the demand curve have it subsidize everybody else so it's a way for creator and culture economy to thrive under this model yeah i i think that's it's interesting that you know this creator is doing this and i think that they're, they're pretty big they're they're well known just outside of even just these nfts but they, they are oh, really i've never heard of them <laughs> yeah but but you know this is an example of what we've talked about in passing but you know i do want to, to dwell on a little bit is that in that example it's really cool but it's an example of of skeuomorphism where you know you take this these digital things and you have them mimic their real world counterparts and so yeah. in this case of three allow you know the the nfts they represent a limited additional vinyl they represent being able to interact with them offline and so this is sort of skeuomorphic in that these are things that you could do anyway right you didn't have to package it up as an nft but yeah I think that increasingly the experiences and the access uh, that the NFT will give you is access to the creator in a in a much more on-chain and digital native sense. So, you know, you can imagine that if you are a creator, you can have these tiered NFTs, to fit, like you mentioned, to fill out your demand curve, and you can have the super fans buy, like, really cool juiced up NFTs that represent your album. And then now the people who own these NFTs can help vote on what tracks are going to be on your next album, or they can do a let's play or like the Twitch plays X kind of thing where they can even guide or, you know, force you to, to take some interesting artistic direction. And, and then, so, They've kind of collaborated in in the creation of your next album, and and so these are these are all things that that are 
are less skeuomorphic and more kind of native to the the uh, the ecosystem. Yeah, I read something as part of this research for NFTs that David Bowie thought the internet was going to do that. Yes, uh, right. for for art. Did you see that? Yes, and I thought it was interesting. In that, oh, okay, he did foresee the stuff, but maybe he was still a little bit early on it. And so uh, I think a lot of, do you know if a lot of current artists do a lot of fan stuff? Because I know that it took some getting used to in certain media and in that when you put a work out there, the internet mob may take it in directions you never expected it to. Yeah. And you just kind of have to like, be zen about it and surf along it rather than trying to like hard pivot on mm. and, and so so i got that sentiment from alexis O'Hanian when he was trying to advise people about the internet I, I think like yeah where if you put out a poll on what to name your boat and they come with boating mode like boat boat yeah you, yeah you, you just kind of ride with it you know right and 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 then, you know, so there's this back and forth where, like, even TV shows, like, they do a lot of nods to super fans because the creators read these forums where the fans are talking, right? Where they, like, try to ship two characters together romantically or, 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 or have conspiracy theories or fan fiction and things like that. Yeah. Right. And then they kind of, like, pick the stuff. They they respond to it and they, they do callbacks to it on the show. And so there's this kind of feedback loop that's, going on already and so i think nfts financialize it mm -hmm. and so i think i think I, the the thing i want to point out is we talk about like oh okay like we have the skeuomorphism in which like we're doing the things that we already can do because that's what we're familiar with and only when we kind of done the stuff will we really figure out what this medium is about yeah and as an analogy like Email came on first, like with the internet, because it was analogous to snail mail. And it took a long time before we figured out, oh, the internet is really good at social media. Social media could not have existed right. before the internet. And so you're yes. saying basically the same thing in which like the NFTs, like we're just making a lot of the stuff that we're already familiar with, but it'll take a while before like we get stuff that is native to the blockchain and Web3 before we really realize its potential. Yes. And, yeah. And a lot of that is what people miss in Clay Christensen's sense that like the new thing can be terrible at everything else and everybody's right. pointing to all the things that it's terrible at. But as long as it's like 10 times better at that one thing. Yeah, that, then, then that, that becomes one, a disruptive innovation, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah the, that one thing that matters, right? It, right. Then, and so I, I think the so far the NFTs are really good at giving people the freedom to exit something that they don't care about and they get to make the choice for that. And that that's the ownership part. Yeah. And then, it's freely tradable on markets that already exist. So you don't have to like go and build a whole new market because like people mm -hmm. are already interacting in these communities already. Right. Yeah. But like now we're putting in infrastructure for them to do it financially as well. Yeah. And I think 
those two properties are, are definitely really interesting. And the other property that I get excited about is that NFTs basically allow you to permissionlessly remix them. So we talked about it a little bit with Avigachi and how they, you right. know, you didn't have to go ask the Avi creators if you wanted to go create Avigachi or something like that. Same thing could happen with creators and their creator communities. You know, people create fan fiction and fan art all the time. Well, what if you had fan NFTs, right? There are NFTs where you can have layers to them. So you have a base NFT and then you can kind of buff them the same way that you could buff an item in a, in a video game and you can attach something, another NFT to this NFT and make it so that it looks cooler if it's an art piece. Or it basically just has some other cool properties. And so you can imagine that a creator can issue an NFT and then the the community can get excited about that and make kind of modification layers on top of that NFT. And so now you have this community who is, like you said, participating in a feedback loop where the, the it's not just top down, the creator is pushing content to the community. The, the community is now using this infrastructure to then interact with that content and push content back to the creator who can then continue to riff. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think this is definitely in the territory of like in the near future. Cause right now, though I, I've been writing an NFT myself and the, the, the spec you're referring to with the composability is ERC 998. Yep. And, I haven't seen a lot of people use that, even though that thing is out. And definitely for the NFTs whose asset is entirely on-chain, you could conceivably call it from a different contract, like a different NFT, and incorporate that image into your own, right? Mm -hmm. And so not, as an aside, not all NFTs use jpegs or pngs as images like they can use svgs and svgs are just markup that you can store on chain yeah and so you can conceivably like pull in stuff at svgs from other contracts there's a whole rabbit hole of the subtleties and nuances that i, I won't go into here but it's definitely possible, but I, I haven't seen a lot of move in that direction because I think people's heads are still reeling from the fact that NFT, NFTs exist at all. Yeah, I, I think I've seen a few NFT projects that are still in the art space that are using uh, ERC-998 where you have a base NFT, but then you can add some like kind of foil layer and make it like a shiny version of that NFT or like some things like this. But yeah, it's still really early. And, and, you know, going back to this, this skeuomorphism that we've been talking about, you know what I feel like where we are in the adoption curve or the maturity curve of NFT? Did you ever use AOL back in the day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So AOL, like before it just became a generic ISP, uh, like it had a bit, its own little like walled garden world of the web where it had these like cute icons where your email was like a little, you know, mailbox icon and like yeah. shopping was like a mall that you'd go to. It just like felt like a little like town basically. Like they modeled the internet as a little town 
because everybody knows what what to do when they go, you know, to the shopping center or to your mailbox or whatever it is. And so it kind of feels like we're at that level of skeuomorphism for NFTs as well as other things as well in, in Web3, where we're mapping them to things that we're familiar with. And at some point, like the the like native content is going to come and then nobody is going to you know use the skeuomorphic crutches anymore the same way that we're not you know going to the mall when we do online shopping you yes. just like go yeah. and do you, you go to amazon right like yeah yeah well well so amazon isn't isn't structured like a mall like yeah. you don't have aisles in amazon right like it's it's like people understand that online shopping you have a search and then you can filter and sort and search because that's what natively online databases are good at right yeah like you can do that like nobody structures it as aisles that you have to browse that's when it was skeuomorphic right yeah 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 so i think we're still there in that level of skeuomorphism where i mean i i don't think people are unaware i don't think we're sitting here with like our genius brain idea that like oh we're in the skeuomorphism world like the people who are building nfts are probably aware like hey this is we're just doing this because this is what we can get a foothold on right now but as the sort of more people kind of bash their heads at like what can we do with this and two as you can as you have more people on chain and more assets on chain with which to interact it's kind of a, it becomes this sort of network effect where Right now, there are only, you know, these level one NFTs that represent, you know, skeuomorphic things. But then as those things exist and people own them, then you can start building like level two layers uh, on top of that where you can attach things with them. You can compose things with them. You can have, you can fractionalize them. And then from there, we enter the Wild West where now everything is connected to everything and everything is composed with everything. So I think it'll take a while. It requires some amount of adoption of the sort of basic stuff before you can get to the really crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah, so when it comes to, do you have other things to say about like interesting properties for NFTs? Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing that we touched on a little bit is that that they are content agnostic, basically you can point them to images but yeah like you mentioned you can point them to svgs you can have them represent basically you know any other thing and yeah uh, as an aside on the svg like the interesting about the S svgs for nfts is that these svgs don't have to be static they can change based on the data that is on chain and not just data on the NFT contract itself, but any data that's on chain. So you could conceivably have an F NFT that is green when the price of Ethereum is up mm. and red when the price of Ethereum is down because we already have automatic market makers and these decentralized exchanges on on chain that track the price of ethereum so you you can have 
these SVGs that are almost like uh, those IoT devices that are blue when it's raining or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you could have wallets that are on your watch and use them as watch faces. And so those are things that are entirely possible. And these NFTs that that have that read data off. Yeah, that's that on chain. Yeah, you could have like if you own one of those like uh, Board Ape uh, Yacht Club NFTs, you could have like the monkey like be sad when eat this right. down or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. And so there, there's a lot of possibilities there, and it it doesn't necessarily like you said, it's content agnostic. It doesn't actually have to return SVGs. You could conceivably return a web page with a front end written on it. The thing is, it's just really expensive to do right now, mm -hmm. right? But when, if and when the gas prices are a lot cheaper, you could conceivably have an entire simple front end like written on chain and get returned so that there is a front end app that lives on chain and will forever be Keep in mind that these apps have to be really simple because yeah like you can't store that much stuff on chain now there's a lot more pressure i feel to have have the assets live on chain or at least live on ipfs which we talked about yeah. in the, our last episode so i think there is interest in like making nfts less fragile in that sense where you know if the cdn server goes down like your nft is not useless but one thing that is interesting is if you either have a very simple front end on chain or you point to an IPFS address, which represents a front end, you could have that front end again be Web3 enabled uh, web page that allows you to interact with the NFT itself. And so you have an NFT that is exposing an interface for you to interact with it. And so in that sense, it is, an, it is a kind of object which becomes you know it, it has a physical representation by which you can like interact with it and so it's kind of it's kind of interesting it's like a, a small talk like we talked a lot in our previous podcasts about like making something representable uh, object representable and so yeah maybe you can have uh something like that for blockchain objects yeah, it carries its own view with it, effectively. Yes. And so right now, people rely on Etherscan, which is a blockchain explorer for Ethereum to, for like a really crude like API interface for it. But you could conceivably just have a really simple version of that chain. Like you can click, maybe like just like, you almost have to think of it as a watch face. Mm, yeah. That that you can have it's it's not like a full fledged app that you would have like a desktop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like NFTs, they they can react to the things on the chain. They're programmable. You can have them, you know, pay out money when they're traded back to the original creator. You can have them be stealable. There are plenty of NFTs currently in the art world that that you can steal them if you pay more for them than the previous owner so you can have like basically arbitrary logic as long as you know it's kind of if you get the game mechanics right then it kind of creates something interesting about them yeah yeah there's all sorts of yeah there's other things like the common one i talk about is one where the nft contract 
is a really simple generative art and people can claim these pieces of art that get generated. Yeah. And if they can sell it on the open market for a higher price, great. But if they can't and they don't like it, they can actually sell it back to the contract and that NFT gets burned forever. Mm. And so the NFT that you claim and buy from that contract get more and more expensive the more NFTs get minted. So it's basically on a price curve. Yeah. And so effectively this whole system is trying to find an optimum price for the kinds of art that it generates. So it's kind of like a simple smart contract slash human symbiosis to do price discovery on this kind of art. <laughs> okay. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, yeah, the, the, the project is called Neologic. Logic. Neologic. Okay, cool. We'll have the links to that in, in the, in the notes. Oh, Neolastics. Neolastics. Yes. Good thing for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, Neolastics. I saw something also in the similar idea of generative art where if you, okay. So if you recall the episode with, with Dali, Dali is a generative uh, AI model that takes in a text description and then outputs an image. And I forget the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes, but there, there is a collective of NFT artists that basically have taken a, a version of uh, Dali that takes in this text and outputs art. And they have a DAO that votes on what the input to the, the model is then that outputs the art. And so they, you basically have a, a collective of people that is trying to steer this, uh, this machine learning model to create interesting art, which then gets minted as NFTs and gets sold. And so it, it's, so they, it, it's kind of, they get the collective profits. Yeah. You get, you get the collective profits or, or rather the, the profits go back into the DAO, which then they reinvest uh, to train their next model. In this case, the interesting thing is the NFT doesn't, I think the NFT doesn't actually represent the image. It actually is a, it represents the phrase that's the input to the model. The model has a, a sort of latent space and points in that space represent the different pieces of art. And there are infinitely many of them. And, but basically what you're doing is you're selling off real estate in their latent space of this machine learning. Yeah. Model. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Like the, I was saying that one of the things people have qualms about is storing images on chain. But if you can just store the latent space on chain and have the model be standardized uh, on IPFS or something like that, then, yeah. then you could totally do this sort of thing. Right. And I, I think that probably is the case because people release like models that then people, everybody glom onto like Dolly and Clip or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's totally doable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, those are the, they're like big models like that. and But yeah, you, I think you, you can train arbitrary, like you can train other models as well that are, uh, generate more specific uh, art styles or, or things like that. And, and then you can auction off the latent space of those, uh, of those things. And so yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting world. 
Right. But if you have a standard one that everybody agrees that this is where the stuff it's, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of like starting out a, a new social network, right? right, like right nobody right. wants to be in the latent space that isn't worth anything. Everybody wants to be in this. Unless you find it, unless you create a new latent space that is interesting. And then you, as a creator or a trainer of that model, you can get residuals from the NFTs that are sold of that latent space. And so you it incentivizes people to create like new and interesting latent spaces. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's all open yield right now until we find the one model that dominates. Right. Right. And, and so, so then like, I guess we've gone through a lot of different examples and we've talked about like the properties that make this stuff unique and kind of where we're at right now, where we haven't really fully taken advantage of these properties. Like, yeah. what, what do you think are the second and third order effects once the stuff is really pervasive? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I have sort of scattered my thoughts as we were going, but I think that the main thing that the second and third order effects are that if you think about memes right now where like memes sort of take a life of their own and what I mean by memes are like image memes on Reddit and things like that. They they take a life of their own because anybody can kind of take, uh, edit an image, remix an image and post it on Reddit and, and, and people laugh or whatever. And the same thing is going to happen now with NFTs where NFTs are an object which has social value because everybody can view it and look at it and and see its provenance. And then if you then add this remixable layer, now people are are riffing off of of things. So you can you can imagine that you know instead of posting your your Wall Street bets like loss uh, and say I lost all my money making like, you know, bad option uh, options bets on GME, and then getting Reddit votes. You can basically take your losing financial position and com com memorialize it as an NFT, and then sell it, and 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 then <laughs> and make your money back potentially. <laughs> and so, these are the kinds of things that are possible. Like you can basically create assets out of anything. And as long as other people agree to buy it, then you have something going. Yes, yes, exactly. So basically what you need, what underpins all these NFTs is the social aspect. You need a community. You need eyeballs that are looking at this and can perceive its value or, or, can like convince well, each other of the, its value. Yeah. At, at least for kind of the cultural NFTs, like the art and the maybe type type of NFT. Yes. There, there are, as, as the point of our whole show, is that there are other types of NFTs. And so, but like going back to like the second, third order effects, like the, I think that's probably definitely true. Like we, we see this sort of thing already with the TikToks and, against the reels or whatnot. Yeah. It's, it's not a far stretch to say that this sort of thing will happen with crypto because there are a lot of people with their 
ear to the ground on the pulse of culture. Yeah. I'm definitely not one of them. I don't know about you. But... Yeah, not me either. You can think about it as financialization of memes, or you can think about it as the memification of finance. Either way, you're basically creating... A, NFTs are, have the, the capability of creating cultural artifacts around anything. And right now we think of cultural artifacts in terms of art and songs and things like this. But you can now create cultural artifacts around literally financial losses, financial wins, access to creators, access to celebrities, whatever it is. And so this is what makes NFTs very, very interesting. Yeah, I used to think that it was really weird that finance could take a position on, say, like, what is the weather and trade that. Yeah. It's about to get even weirder with all this meme stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's what I'm excited about is is just memes that transcend images and art and into just abstract memes of anything. <laughs> I bet you there'll be meme museums in the future and not just physical ones, but digital ones, honestly, would like do a, like kids would have to study these memes, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so <laughs> there's, there's uh, an interesting project, which I, I won't go too, too deep into, but it, basically somebody's creating a NFTs out of tweets and the most valuable NFT is, of course, the, the very first tweet by Jack Dorsey just setting up my Twitter. And uh, and uh, these NFTs can only be minted by the people who tweeted it. And so it was minted by Jack, and it was most recently sold for uh, $2.9 million or, yeah. or uh, 1600 ETH. And so, yeah, this is, again, you know, just setting up my Twitter, uh, that tweet is a cultural artifact. Like, that is the beginning of something that has such significance in the world. And like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to commemorate that as an NFT and put that in a museum of internet history or whatever? Like it makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the library of Congress is already archiving tweets. And so in that sense, it's, it's, it's being memorialized but like this gives people a way to make it a transaction i guess yeah to, to trade it around and own it because that's that's one of the main properties that that we identified that it piggybacks off of all the infrastructure that you could use this for otherwise yeah i mean as long as people recognize that that nft contract is the nft contract for tweets then it will retain its value yeah as soon as somebody like as long as soon as the shelling point for the official NFT contract shifts somewhere else, then oh, that NFT will lose value. And so yeah. it's kind of like a floating value concept that I think is is a little bit hard for and that's the provenance aspect. And so that's I think the the objections that we were going to skip that like people that object to it offer up as an objection all the time. Like what prevents me from just setting up a new contract that mints tweets. Well, you don't have the provenance, it, you know, like people acknowledge it as a, a cultural artifact. Yeah. And so the, the shelling point rests with that contract, not yours. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of my, my little spiel. What do you think are some of the, the effects that you're excited about? 
yeah, for for me, the the second and third order effects kind of like when this stuff, this entity stuff is pervasive, like what sort of stuff are we going to see? I was thinking my my pet NFT in the future is actually invoices. <laughs> you really took it like you're like I a artist too interesting. Let's go to invoices. <laughs> Let's go to invoices. No, I mean like I I think like you know people wax poetic about like supply chain this and that, but I think companies and organizations will have a portfolio of digital assets on their books. And so they can use the this portfolio of digital assets as part of their financial leverage in taking out loans or uh, taking a financial position strategically. And so, for example, right now, what people do today is something called invoice refactoring. If I have an invoice in which I owe my vendor money, mm -hmm. I can sell that to somebody that wants to gather it. And so, because I need capital today yeah. and I don't want to have to be able to pay it back over time and somebody else that can take the time, they'll pay it back over time and give me the money. Yeah, it's a, it's a way for, for businesses to basically not take out loans, but rather get money today based on their future future cash flows right and so the that's a much better way of putting it the and so companies could have all these sort of digital assets that earn them money whether through staking or because you know there's a certain amount of money locked up that's being dripped out over time or you know like invoices that technically don't have any money in them, but it's, it's seen as an IOU from the other people. And of course, like some people would say, well, if you need the government and the courts to enforce this, like what's the point, but the, I would say that for invoices, it's the fact that you can trade them immediately, like would be a reason for, to get them on chain. Yeah. Yeah. Or even compose them together to package it up like a credit credit default form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, yeah, I think it makes sense. You know, we were talking in the DAO episode about, you know, how are, how are two DAOs going to interact? And, and if you think about these the two blockchain native organizations, if they're going to sign a contract, it's probably going to be a smart contract that's on the blockchain. Uh, or they might own assets, like you mentioned, staking, yield farming, whatever other assets, those are also going to be native and on-chain. And so now they can package up those those contracts and sell them as an NFT or build derivative instruments on top of that NFT that represents the whatever asset that they hold. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's the sort of thing that I can see happening when this stuff is all pervasive. So that that would be my like pet vision into the future, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, and it includes things. It could be collectibles, it could be art, but it could be something more boring like invoices. Yeah, or you know, other like financial positions, like like the, the 
Uniswap liquidity pool or something like that. It, it doesn't really matter. Like there would just be a way to sell them, trade them, a, a way to value them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I do like the direction that you've taken this in that I I projected out one step beyond where we are right now, right? Like, you know, memes as art, memes as anything. And but I think that as this becomes more and more mature, actually a lot of the value of NFTs and blockchain is going to be other more boring seeming assets that actually just have inherent value rather than cultural value. Of course, I think the cultural value stuff is going to be huge and we haven't seen the peak of that yet. But I think that what's interesting about this invoice example or, or holding the you know, baskets of goods and then packaging that up as an NFT and things like that is that we're going to get to the point sometime in the future, I don't know when, but we're going to get to the point where the value of the things on the chain or at least online is going to dominate the value of things that are happening off chain. We're not there yet, but if the crypto maximalists are right, that that point may come. And at that point, you're going to see a lot of a lot of things that can be packaged up as NFTs, as other, all kinds of other instruments. Wait, what, what do you mean that the value online is going to dominate? It's, it's going to exceed the value of things offline. So right now, when we think about the, the, the balance sheets of corporations, these are things that are fiat currencies. They are stock or, or other off-chain assets. But yeah. as things go along, the balance sheets of organizations is going to be increasingly on chain. And then at that point, you can apply things like NFTs or other types of, of smart contracts and then package them up and then start interacting with them in a much more interesting and programmable way. Yeah. I think the part that I'm missing in my head is exactly how do we get from here to there? And so that, that yeah. part we, we don't necessarily have to get into because like we just be taking stabs in the dark but yeah i think the the key thing to remember there is is what i said before that it would have to be something where the business or the company or the organization was able to do that one thing that really mattered 10x better than they were able to do before even though all this other stuff just kind of sucked right yeah and so for specific types of businesses with, you know, like taking out loans takes a long time or doing re remittances across international borders, it takes a long time. And so I, I can see like, those are the types of things that would be a foothold for this, like increasing the amount of digital assets to make space to, to take place. Yeah. Or like you want to lower the cost of interoperability because it makes sense to do so for players in the space. And so one thing might be that like equity might be one, like people that invest every year in startups or companies and whatnot, mm -hmm. they get to a point where because the check sizes are much smaller today than they used to be, it's really hard to kind of keep track of all that stuff. And right now it's just either on spreadsheets or on like Carta or yeah. You know, like, or like the, the equity management 
platforms. So just like you said that it was permissionless before, it's just that you, as long as you follow these standards for the NFT, then you inherit all these properties for these assets that you digitize on chain. And yeah. so you don't have to build a marketplace for this stuff. You don't have to build like the tradability, yeah. the interoperability, the composability of these assets. And then like other people can build on top of it because like, right. As long as that asset increases their value when other people use it, that's when the benefit comes in, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, when CryptoPunks have derivative projects that then submit its cultural significance, yeah. like, that's an advantage of NFTs, right? When, like, invoices can be packaged up and tradable around so that companies can take out loans or flash loans or collateralize them. Mm -hmm. then, you know, that is something that enhances its, its value because then anybody can, can interoperate right. without the normal cost of doing business. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's like kind of the 10 X thing that this thing needs to be better at, whereas it could just be really sucky for everything else that can gradually improve. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing that. It really calls out to me another instance of that 10x application is uh, things like equity. If you own a startup equity that is not uh, in a public company and you want liquidity, let's say you're an engineer at a startup company and a significant amount of your compensation is through equity, but you need to go buy a house, the bank is not going to value your startup equity at anything. Yeah. But so... The solution to that is to find uh, private marketplaces, uh, and there are plenty of those that exist, where you can't quite sell the equity itself, but you can basically create der derivative contracts where then when it does go public, you transfer the shares over to the buyer. And so it's very cumbersome. And again, you're interacting with these smaller marketplaces where there is maybe less liquidity available, fewer buyers available compared to the public yeah. markets. And the people who run these marketplaces, the companies that run these marketplaces, of course, take their cut. And so it's at the end of the day, you're basically taking a huge cut, a huge discount to be able to sell your equity now in return for cash. And I think that the things like NFTs and blockchain can really help with that. Yeah, it should lower the costs, at least on first glance. Obviously, there's a lot of different forces that are at play because usually startups don't want like a whole bunch of nobodies on their cap table. Yeah. But uh, so I'm curious as to how it'll actually play out. But yeah, I mean, like I think people that are dealing with these financial assets, like just these boring assets will find a way to to leverage these properties that that NFT give us and when you compose them it could yield different kinds of things that you can do yeah. that it's it's just it won't exist like so i mentioned flash loans earlier in this episode like flash loans are something that's really native to the blockchain like they just don't exist outside of that because it's it's the technology that enables it and so i suspect that we'll see more of those things
actually come to think of it, there was this guy that there there was this guy that do an experiment that are selling NFTs of his own time or or like holders of the nfts get to vote out what they should do next like which jobs they should apply to or something like that yeah yeah and so so the i guess the reason why i wanted to bring that up was we often thought of nfts as companies or organizations holding these assets but you could scale that up or down i guess mm. down to the individual where you can tokenize things that you normally wouldn't mm. and you would have a ready-made marketplace to trade that already and so those tokens would have value simply because you would honor them yeah. and people are buying it based on the fact that you would honor it and i guess if you don't what's the repercussion i guess they know your name i guess <laughs> yeah i mean i can imagine like instead of a credit score, the transactions on the blockchain are denominated in your own personal token or your own personal currency. And then it's it's in your interest to not tank the value of your own personal currency. Oh, yeah. Well, I was originally going to think that like the provenance of your ENS domain or your wallet, like you have a history of, I don't know, doing the right thing over time. And so that's why you hold on to it. Yeah. And then what about at the scale of like nation states? How would they use NFTs? The only thing that comes to mind, the only thing that comes to mind are maybe something like carbon, ta like carbon credits or something. I don't know how that's currently tracked. It's probably a centralized database somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably centralized or I think there are, there are some like organizations and collectives, but there are more than one of those actually. And so there's no single source of truth. Yeah. You can imagine NFTs that represent that. I saw another riff on NFTs. It's just like another ERC thing like called like semi-fungible tokens where the things that it represents are not like actually unique assets, but they are instances of a class of asset. And so I think like you could use that to represent like tons of carbon or something and trade those around. I see. So yeah, I, I can imagine that. Yeah, I don't know about nation states, but certainly at local levels, you can imagine that NFTs are an interesting way to engage your citizenry in financing some type of projects. So let's say that you want to have a renovated, uh, you know, a downtown square or something. And so a lot of times cities issue bonds and things like that in order to raise money and so you right, could but they, you could sort of raise money through like nfts of something uh right and so you could already do that with bonds so why through a chain is it just because the market's bigger and there's more liquidity i mean that might be a good reason yeah i think so i think that that would be uh, a, a good reason again like the the key is like you mentioned that you don't want to get forced into a marketplace where there isn't enough liquidity or you have to take on terms, unfavorable terms, because you need liquidity right now. And so, yeah, if you're able to throw it up onto a standardized infrastructure, that's where your your NFT is discoverable uh, by anybody rather than restricted to your jurisdiction. 
then you might be able to find more buyers and, and have more favorable terms. You know, that makes me think the analogously with the internet that the first movers on the internet were able to capture the distributive properties of the internet. They found it really easy to get things to spread, but as more and more things got online, like it was just harder and harder, say in the late 2010s, like 2018 compared to the early 2000s, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe the mid 2000s. And so then it ends up that these aggregators were the ones that accrued a lot of value because it, they controlled discoverability. And so I wonder if it's the similar thing that right now, if you put something on NFTs, you'll get a lot of liquidity, but as everyone gets on, then yeah. maybe we have that discoverability problem once again. So unless it's built in chain, then that might be somewhere where value accrues and somebody's going to make a pretty penny yeah. doing discoverability there. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's one of the things that I guess if we're talking about the future and people talking about decentralization and, you know, like ownership, that sort of stuff, like they need to figure out where the part of the value chain is hard to do and so then they do it and make it a public good yeah. otherwise a private company is gonna wedge itself in there and uh, make itself indispensable and hence accrue value there yeah i i think that's a good point and yeah the one of the risks of of all of these things is that currently with nfts there are maybe a few hundred or a few dozen really notable ones like in terms of the uh, trading volume as well as well as the kind of yeah. the value like trading value there are at most a dozen that you can um, point to and so there's a lot of eyeballs and a lot of interest in a few big whale nfts but as we start to make NFTs of everything, the discoverability aspect is, is going to be key because now rather than just a few apes being traded and that everybody knows and recognizes, you're going to be, you're going to see everything being traded all the time. And now you need either like verticals that index like a particular type of NFT, like an invoice NFT aggregator or something like Etherscan that that's limited to a certain type of NFT. And, and so that, that way you can limit your focus to a particular type of thing and discover things in that space rather than looking at you know all NFTs being traded because that then at, in the future that's going to become meaningless because they're going to be art NFTs, they're going to be music NFTs, they're going to be invoice NFTs. Yeah, so we've basically covered a lot of ground all the way taking NFTs from, you know, flashy art projects to representing financial transactions and more mundane things. And I think that when we get there, that future is going to be interesting because it means that you know, a lot of things that we take for granted today are going to be moved on chain. And that's when the real network effects and the real composability is going to come into play. So I think that's going to be a very interesting future. So overall, I'm excited about NFTs beyond art. I think that we are currently doing a lot of projection and extrapolation, and I'm curious to see you know, the concrete projects 
come out maybe this year, maybe in the, in the next couple of years. But I think there are the seeds being planted right now for using NFTs to represent things beyond just JPEGs, as, as the detractors sometimes say. Yeah, it's it's hard to predict. I mean, like I was working in crypto like four or five years ago. When I looked at it then, I'm like, ah, NFTs a little too early, like maybe six or seven years from now, and yeah. it was half that time. And so <laughs> it, it's just really hard to tell with this sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, like we covered a lot of ground, but it's by no means everything. There's still a whole bunch of things that we decided to cut out because we're already well, well beyond our usual uh, time for the podcast. And so, like I said, for the third time now, like exhilarated and terrified because it's just, I think this world in which NFTs are coming in and out will be largely illegible for, for people. Yeah. And you can only kind of really get a local view and somebody will try to aggregate it all so that you get a more global view so you can find something optimal and personalized to yourself. And we'll see if the decentralized crypto punk, like cypherpunk ethos will remain when this sort of stuff matures and kind of keep it more as a public good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. But overall, the part that I'm excited about is that this is yet another building block for for application developers and builders to make uh, things with like a financial component to it. Yeah. Yes, yes. So actually, I, I we usually have our uh, usual call to action to, you know, like, share, and to subscribe for this podcast. But I actually am going to do something different for this podcast. I'm going oh, to yeah. mint a screenshot of of this video as an NFT, Whoa. and uh, please purchase <laughs> uh, purchase this so that one day when we are a huge podcast as big as uh, Joe Rogan experience you're going to own one of the limited edition rare NFTs and you'll gain a credibility as a curator and identification of talent man I, I should have shaved for this <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay we're, we're matching so you, you have a beard I have a beard yeah alright is our our heads the same size Maybe. Yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> okay. So that's good. That's going to be the NFT. I'm going to mint it and it will be also pointed to by a dot ETH address. And so you can buy that. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's it for uh, this week. Yeah. And so I'm excited to the moon and to like, yeah, I mean, the, I, I think there's a lot of possibilities here. So I'm pretty optimistic terrified but also <laughs> very cool yes so you know come back next week for for a new episode of the technium where we discuss ideas from the edge of technology until then see you next time see you next time bye bye, -bye.